Hello everybody and welcome to WTS 166. My name is Danny Hashtag Gil Murray. And I am Merrigan Mania. Alright. How are you, Merrill? I'm Graham Merrill Merrigan. I'm Grace. How are you? Tremendous man. Tremendous. Living the life. I went to, I went to IKEA. You did. You and your granny had a road trip. Yeah, me and my granny, Linda, we went to Ikea. Um, the things you do for love. Is that what they say? This is it, man. This is it. She she was disappointed she didn't get a rug. Yeah. But she loved her... She hadn't been on the M50 in quite a while. And she loved the M50. And she loved that she was driving to Talla. And she loved that she was driving past Temple Oak and Finglas and Blanchardstown and all these places that she forgot... Um, that were that she thought were so far away, that weren't far away at all. Far away at all, isn't it amazing what a what a, what a decent stretch of tarmac can do for the soul, huh? Do you know what she said? Aren't straight roads great? <laughs> Graham, but so are boy and gay roads. Just putting it out there. <laughs> um, come here to me, isn't it? And this is one of those cultural things that's funny. And I'm not in any way trying to cast aspersions about the name Linda here, right? But yeah. uh, the lovely Oksana. Her grandparents, who are still over in the motherland, living in Russia, they li- they, they live on basically a farm. You know, they're 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 Kulchi Russians essentially. You know? Kulchi Russians. And uh, b- because <laughs> you know they're, they're they're elderly people, they you know have farms, so they have two guard dogs, two two big old German shepherds. Right. One of them is named Caesar, which is a great name for a dog, I think. You know? Yeah, it is. Powerful name. Dog, remember that? I do, yeah, Caesar Milan, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, Roman Emperor, you know, associated with power, the leader. The, the, the word Caesar gave birth to Tsar, like a Russian Tsar that gave birth to the, the German for King, Kaiser. Very powerful name. Kaiser, also a good name for a dog. But that's Are you going to say the other dog called Linda? The second dog is called Linda. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable! It is, isn't it? Think about that—a little community farm in Siberia, and there's a there's a little German shepherd running around, and every so often it's just <laughs> Linda, Linda. How amazing is that? That is deadly. So I, that, I'm kind of going spit it out, Danny. Where's he getting to? I yeah, but you you just decided to rip the wheels off me bus, didn't you? And just get straight to the punchline for me. But, That's because it's like—is he actually going to say here the dog's name was Linda? So I know. <laughs> I now am going to make it a mission that we, somehow or another, through the magic of the internet and, and, and everything else in the world... Get somehow, a picture of Linda? Well, we'll get a picture of Linda, but also, if we jump back to when we had friend of the show, PJ Gallagher, on, yeah. he mentioned a friend who has a bulldog called Sharon. Yes, barber friend. Exactly. So I, 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 I think we have to start a thing where we find out people who have pets, pets with brilliant names. Yeah. Don't D- let's put that on Twitter. Exactly. Don't be coming at me with your Fido and your Rover and and that kind of shit. I want a fucking bull mastiff called Derek. Know yes. What I mean? Know what I mean? That's that's the kind of thing we're after on this podcast. You didn't get to name your dogs, did you? I got the name Lupo. Um, didn't get the name Cali because we adopted Cali. Why didn't you call Lupo Derek? Why didn't I call him Derek? Um, because he doesn't look like a Derek. To be fair, we did try to this, name him. 
What? No, I was changing the subject. Go on. We did try to name him Sonnen after the great Chael P. Sonnen. But yeah. uh, he just he just didn't respond to it ever. Like, literally, he would, like, <laughs> just, he'd be walking out into traffic and stuff. He'd be like, Sonnen, come here. He wouldn't pay any attention. But we said Lupo once, and he gave the paw, and we were like, that's it. He's Lupo from now on. Did you watch um, Ricky Gervais's Derek? A little, I didn't watch the full thing. No, I didn't. No. That was a fucking great show. I um, I love love Ricky Gervais's stand up. Love him. I haven't given it a shot yet, actually. Yeah, I'm I love extras. Extras was unreal. Phenomenal, wasn't it? Tremendous show altogether. It was. Yeah, had to go again because that's on Netflix. Is it on Netflix? Is it? Yeah, yeah. I must give that a bash. I really enjoyed that show. Yeah. But anyway. Who's um, our guest this week? Our guest this week is uh, another returner to the podcast. We like bringing people back who we had a bit of crack with and people who had a bit of crack with us and, and who we enjoyed and whatnot. And um, the first time we had him on, we were fascinated by his book, uh, which, yeah, I mean, I had never really given the subject of what happens to footballers when they retire much thought if I'm being God's honest and truthful with you but yeah, uh, yeah like the, the the book retired by Alan Gernon um, what happens to well, what was the title again sorry Jesus I'm after getting mixed up retired what happens to footballers when the game's up when the game's up that's what it was thank you uh, brilliant read and he had some some big names who rode in behind it. He had Noel Quinn saying it was a great read and it was it was brilliant. John Terry, uh, I think John well, Terry. Look, Quinn said it's the most important uh, football book in a long time. There you go. John he called it a very interesting read. John Terry tweeted a photo of it. I think he it was his uh, holiday book because he was in an airport. He picked it up and tweeted a photo of it, and that's what he read on holiday. And then well. said, "Yeah, it was very very uh, interesting book." But anyway. We're bringing back Dundalk's own Alan Gernon, an absolute gent, uh, hilarious individual, and a man who knows football like the back of his hand, because he has a new book coming out um, where he's dealing with the transfer market. It's called The Transferred Market, The Inside Story. So um, we're going to have a little chat with him about all things football transfers. Mind-boggling shit. Lovely. This is Alan Gernon. Our guest this week is writer and uh, all-round gent who is returning to the podcast, Alan Gernon. Now, the last time he joined us, he had just brought out a new book called uh, Retired, which covers off the story of what happens to footballers when they retire, and was nominated for Air Sports Book of the Year. Uh, congratulations on that one, Al. Thank you. Thanks for having me back on, lads. No, not, not at all. Uh, delighted to have you back on, and even more delighted that uh, me Christmas read has sorted out because you've got another book coming out. <laughs> oh, I do indeed. Yeah, it's, it's taken me a couple of years for the second one. But uh, yeah, it's, it's out just in time for Christmas. Um, so it's called The Transfer Market, The Inside Story. And again, it's, it's looking at, um, I guess, the lives of, of a typical footballer away from the, the Pogba's and Lukaku's and things like that and just seeing the realities of of their lives maybe off the pitch and you know how football impacts themselves and their families and you know just sort of digging I'm a bit like I love football but I'm also very nosy so uh, <laughs> I probably, I but, but, but aren't, aren't all fans though because the two subject matters you picked when uh, when footballers retire and then obviously the transfer market where every football fan is glued to Jim White like yeah well I I 
I've spoken to dozens of players now uh, across the two books and uh, very rarely really spoke to them about football or tactics or anything like that. So I was sort of trying to get an insight into, you know, some of the stuff that you don't hear about in the media or they don't even get asked maybe. Like I was sort of looking to to see, you know, the personal effects of a move on a player. And, you know, most of the players I spoke to had never really been asked about it before. You know, when they signed for new club, it's, you know, the usual quotes, I always dreamed of playing for this club since I was a boy and, you know, with the Robbie Keane thing. And, uh, you know, or, you know, I, I can't wait to get going uh, with the, meet the lads and, you know, do our best this season. But they're never really asked about what's going on in the background, I guess. So, you know, having to pull their kids out of school, moving house for the fifth time in a couple of years or maybe moving away from a fa- from their family or, you know, not wanting to move. Like, uh, the stats there from FIFA Pro who are the world uh, players um, union, the equivalent to the PFA or PFAI, who, who suggests that I think 30% of, of players are forced to, to join a club um, worldwide against their wishes. So, sort of interested in that whole aspect of things. And as I said, most players never really been asked about it before. Um, and sort of opened up, I suppose. It's come about against their wishes, Al. Pardon? Yeah, well, just, you know, come about against the players' wishes. Yeah, well, just agents pushing moves or clubs. I even spoke to a few, few Premier League players who, you know, deadline day to get a call and say, look, you have to go down and, and speak to this club. If you don't move or if you don't even meet them, you won't be playing here again. So, you know, they often have no choice in the matter, you know, um, if they want to play football, which which most of the people I spoke to did. They don't want to do a Winston Bogart and sit in the sidelines for a few years, you know. Most of them wanted to get on with their careers as a footballer. So, you know, there was all that sort of that sort of angle, which, um, you know, a lot of them hadn't really, really spoken about before, as I said. Do you think, like, the, the whole transfer deadline day, and you kind of said it there about... You know, the, the the players might be told kind of on deadline day, you know, yeah, get down from, I don't know, Huddersfield in the north of England down to, to Portsmouth in the south of England. You know, there, there's no space for you here, but they're interested in your kind of thing. And, like, all that turmoil for somebody who literally is told in a couple of hours you're going to have to uproot your life. And as you were saying, kids out of school, the, the missus might be happy. Uh, where she is and then saying we're going to have to uproot because in most cases I would imagine the, the, the professional footballer is the breadwinner in the family yeah. and and while all that is going on you know on Sky Sports News the transfer world is almost fetishized yeah. by fans yeah. and this idea of who's my club going to get on deadline day who's going to be the big sign on deadline day they've got this big clock counting down and they've got another clock in watching the billions of pound as it is these days being spent on footballers and it's this just madness that surrounds it all and I I in the last couple of years have kind of struggled to, to even find myself in any way interested in it purely because of the madness in the background and I suppose that madness in the background is at the heart of this book is it? Yeah I guess it is and you know most of the players have described deadline day and transfer windows as a, you know, unsettling sort of anxious time where um, one player, uh, I think it was Liam Rosinha, who just retired from Brighton. He's a pundit on Sky now. He said a lot of players switch their phones off on deadline day so they won't get a call and be asked to move, which it's just crazy. Like, and, you know, they switch their phones off deliberately. Like I spoke to players who, 
there was one who played for Sunderland. He was sitting at home, 6 p.m. on deadline day, 1 January, and watching the, watching the deadline day as we do, you know, and uh, suddenly got a call and told he was, he was being sold to Bolton. So, you know, the next day he was looking for a new house, whereas, you know, a minute to six, he had no inkling, no no idea. He, he you know, he was happy in Sunderland. I think he's from the North, or he's from Scotland, actually, but he'd been there for a while. So it's like, yeah. you know, suddenly one minute your life changes and, uh, you know, and, and then they're they're expected to go on and perform straight away and that there's added pressure because they're this new signing, particularly in January. A lot of people said that, you know, there's added pressure in January because it's often you're, you're being brought in to either help a club from relegation or maybe battle up maybe to playoff places or, mm. you know, top four or something like that. So, you know, it, it, it's crazy and, like, even players really, and most of the players I spoke to admitted like that footballers f- follow this stuff. You know, they read the papers, they watch Sky Sports News, and you know, there's not many professions where you can be reading the paper and you know your employer is linked with a direct replacement from you. And a lot of them said, you know, that's totally unsettling as well. Where maybe you're a left back at the club and you've been getting a bit of stick from fans and stuff, and suddenly you're hearing all these rumours that. That the club were interested in signing someone else. So there was loads of loads of different angles that I guess I'd never really considered because I'm a glutton for this, you know, transfer guy. For the last twenty years, probably I think I calculated a waste of maybe a month of my life reading transfer gossip. You know, every night BBC website transfer gossip page, and then clicking through on links to stupid stuff. You know, like and wake up the next morning with, with twenty tabs, my phone open. Like, where's Gary Cahill going in January? Like, you know, it's like ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, who, who's, who's feeding the gossip columns though? With the because you you you'll depending on what player or club you're following, you'd read something different every day. I I can answer that one for you, Merlo. It's a chap called Indy Killer on Twitter. And he, <laughs> he is the fountain of all knowledge when it comes to transfer rumors. Well, uh, there is a chapter in the book uh, called the media, and that's really what I wanted to find out. For I'll, 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 sorry, sorry. Can, uh, are, are you are you by any chance able to see what's happening on screen at the moment? Yeah, you can see him. Yeah, yeah, Graham, yeah. lads, I have to stop the interview. Graham Merrigan is combing his beard. Merrill, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, man? The barber told me I have to comb it so you make it think it'll grow down. We're, we're sitting here and we're trying to conduct a professional talk. <laughs> I so didn't know I was sitting there, sorry. Like, like over the next couple of weeks, Al is going to be on with the likes of Matt Cooper, you know, Ivan Yates, possibly <laughs> off the ball. None of them are going to break out a beard comb, Mero. Come on, will you? Yeah, but none of them are beards. <laughs> That's also true. That's also true. Sorry for, for, for that, Al. Go on. No problem. Keep combing there. It's grand. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we? Oh yeah, the media. Yeah, the transfer room. <laughs> yeah. who's, who's filling the Who's filling the gossip columns? Yeah, so I'd be combing through the gossip columns every month. <laughs> <like that. laughs> There's about right. So you, you might have uh, 50, 50 transfer rumors in in a in a day, maybe across all the papers. I I picked a random day from I think it was two thousand and six in the summer. Went through them all, and I think 21% were, were, were accurate, and, and, you know, a transfer came to fruition. And then there's a website, footballtransferleague.co.uk, who's gone back even further, and uh, 
I think they've studied six or seven thousand transfers and it's the same figure. So 21 or 22 percent of, wow. of transfer rumors you read are true. The rest is, is fake news, I guess. And, you know, before I wrote this book, I just presumed, you know, it's journalists just making up rubbish to fill the papers. But, you know, I spoke to a lot of journalists in the UK, tabloid journalists, agents, players, people at clubs, um, sports um, professors and all, all this sort of thing and you know it seems to be every rumour you read there's some spin on it or there's some someone has has fed stuff out there I think someone likened it to market signalling and economics where you know it's just someone signalling that some that someone's willing to do something so you know whether that's an agent or a player or a club trying to get someone off their books or you know, where it might be actually true and then the transfer doesn't go true. Like I spoke to some agents who, who were dealing with Man United last summer and, you know, it was made clear to them that each position United were looking to fill, they'd maybe four or five players for it. So you might read a rumour about a left back, whereas you might only be number three or four on their list. So, you know, it doesn't, from, from looking into it, as I said, prior to, to research and writing the book, I would have presumed, yeah, it's all just made up, you know, they're just picking names out of a hat and club out of another hat and, you know, putting it all together. But there's spin to, to everything you read. Um, and, you know, even players still still pay attention to it. And, you know, they they can sort of see it, I suppose, from the inside, who, what the motives are behind a lot of the stories, whether it's, you know, a player angling for a move or, or a club trying to get them off, off the payroll or whatever. So, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of rumours. And I'm, uh, even after reading the book, I'm still reading Transfer Gossip every night, knowing that 80%, <laughs> <laughs> nearly 80% of it is, is complete rubbish, really, or it will never happen. So nope. I don't know why. You know, you know, in the lower leagues, um, I'll... Um, like the lower leagues in England, are you talking about same uh, signing on fees and stuff like that? You know, compensating the players for doing last minute moves because they might not want to move. Uh, it, that's a, a total, total different um, ball game from uh, from I guess the Premier League and stuff. Again, FIFPRO stats. FIFPRO represents sixty thousand players worldwide, and forty five percent of them earn less than a thousand dollars a month. And another twenty-one percent earn between one and four thousand dollars a month. So they they split the football footballers into three tiers. So you have the top tier, middle tier, who are sort of Scandinavia, MSL, Australia, place like that. Then the third tier, who out of the sixty thousand people they represent, there's about forty-five thousand. So that's more than Chelsea or Juventus's average home crowd. And then the top tier are players, who, the lads we read about, the transfer gossip and all that sort of stuff is 1,200, which is about Finn Harp's average attendance. So that will give you a sort of inkling of, you know, where most footballers are at. Um, Then in the lower leagues in England, in League 2, the average transfer fee is between five and 600 quid, basically. I went through every transfer from a couple of summers ago, and, you know, 99% of them are free transfers. It's a lad who wants a club rather than the club who wants him, almost. And... very little involved with fees, so I calculated that you'd get 315,000 League Two players for the price of Neymar, basically. That's madness. That <laughs> so so that, that's the level them guys are at, and it's the level most, most footballers worldwide are at, to be honest. And, yeah. you know, they are paid in, in England, like a, a chapter on the global game, which looks at, you know, 
all sorts of stuff that goes on worldwide and in, in different countries and it's it's crazy it's a very uh precarious profession i think for for most people worldwide there's a couple of things you've said there that that are that, that are startling I, I suppose one of the most startling things for me is that finn harps get over a thousand people on average i but, i triple check that <laughs> But the I, other side, I wasn't sure, but like I did check that. Yeah, I I have no no questions about your uh, journalistic research and your prowess with that. All don't worry if you're spending a month of your life on transfer rumors. I don't <laughs> doubt you for a second. But, uh, I, it wasn't a month in a row. It was <laughs> years. Anyway, yeah. but uh, the other side as well. And if I know where listeners, like I think I know where listeners, they're all idiots, right? And. Uh, they are. They're all idiots, right? Oh, yeah. Well, ninety-five percent of our of our listeners are, and and you know, they they won't mind me saying that because I say that from a type of affection. Uh, but they're probably all listening to this, thinking, "Look at the lads trying to paint a sorry picture for all these millionaires. How awful it must be for all these millionaires to be told, oh." You're going from this club to that club where you'll just move into another big mansion and you'll still drive a Ferrari and all. Yeah. But the, the, the crux of this isn't about those guys. The crux of this, as you were saying, is down in, in the in the, the lower, lower leagues, the likes of, say, Torquay or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Where, yeah, yeah. where these guys are literally just playing for the love of the game. And when they retire and their body is wrecked, they're not going to have a big luxury lifestyle. They are literally going to have to get a 9-to-5 probably as a painter decorator or, or, or some sort of you know laborer almost which yeah. n- nothing against those but after you've had a career of physical sport the last thing you want to be doing is carrying or getting up and down ladders and all that crack so when the lads are thinking about the millionaires it's not that end of it it's 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 the sorry lads who have had a 15-year career getting the legs booted off them in division three and what happens to them like Exactly, yeah. As I said, that top tier is same as Finn Harp's average attendance, you know, whereas the bottom tier is same as Chelsea or Juventus. So, you know, the majority of players aren't aren't the lads you're reading about, aren't the lads who are getting their transfer announced by Stormzy or, you know, Nike videos and stuff. You know, most of them are, like, just turning up and, yeah. you know, here's a six-month contract, you know. That's that's all you're getting. And and that's the sort of length of contracts in, in the lower leagues, you know. You mentioned uh, you mentioned outside of England and some of the international crack. Can, give, give, give us a slice of some of the mad stuff you found there. Well, I, was, I spoke to a lot of, um, I guess, English players and things like that that played abroad. And there's a chapter on, on Brits and Irish people abroad and things like that. But then another one on the global game. So, you know, just... Likes of Rowan Ricketts, who played with Shamrock Rovers here. He played for, I think he's played for, I need to check, about 20 clubs. He's played in 11 or 12 countries. So Ecuador, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Canada, Moldova, all these sort of places. And, you know, he I think it was Moldova where it just, he fell out of love with football, where he, he, he was promised a contract and, Club reneged on it after you know, they signed him up. He scored a hat trick in a in a in a trial sort of thing, and you know they signed him up. They thought he was the next Pele. He said he laughed about it, but he thought he was a striker. And then when it became apparent he was a midfielder, they they said we're well, we're not paying you anymore. So he was stuck. Yeah. So basically, he was he was almost I think chased as he says it out of the country mafia style. 
um, brought them to court, won his case, and they won an appeal because they said they hadn't signed a second contract, which happens a lot of times in particularly Eastern Europe countries where there's a second contract uh, paying image rights, which, you know, image rights are all well and good for the likes of Ronaldo and Neymar and Messi, but the level these guys are at, you know, it's, it's really a, a sort of a, a, tax, a tax scheme, I guess. But, you know, they... they they um, reneged on it totally, and you know he he made less out of the move than two agents that that moved him there basically. Um, other guys, well, another guy who who was with a team in in Romania. I'm not going to name which one because I'm not sure. I don't wanna don't wanna get stupid grass soon or something. But uh, um, yeah, he the same thing where you know he. You know, they, they promise, and it happens to a lot of foreign overseas players who they bring in on big contracts, and then when they realize they're not going to maybe reach their ambitions for that year, whether it's win the league or finish in, in European place or something, they, you know, they sort of try and force these guys out, whether it's make them play with, you know, the youths or run through snow for a few hours or, you know, just totally ostracize them. And this guy who, 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 you know, won stuff with the Arsenal Academy and stuff. He he was in Romania relying on teammates' mother to feed him, basically, uh, at one stage. So, you know, there's all these sort of stories where, you know, even in, in places like Spain, you often you often hear in clubs in, in Portugal where, you know, they, they just don't play pay players. Um, and you know, there's another guy from Singapore who's played in about a dozen countries. Well, he's, he's seen it everywhere. He's Cameroon playing and you know, lads weren't getting paid or paying him half the money to keep him sweet because they thought he might go to FIFA or something like that. So it's it's he's sure, just, is 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 an so he'd still owe the fortune from a Libyan club. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I actually was trying to reach him actually because he's he's played in a few countries. I think now at this stage. Yeah, um, yeah but it, it's it's rife worldwide, and you know, FIFA Pro are. Are, are trying to do their best and you know I think that they're working with FIFA on sort of trying to regulate things a lot more because you know there's agents um, there's another chapter in agents and FIFA deregulated the agents uh, industry two or three years ago so it's it's one person said it's like the wild west now so in England any of us three if we'd 500 quid we can become an agent immediately that's all you need 500 quid whereas before you had to pass an exam which was you know, 20 multiple choice questions, but it was crazy. I have a few examples of questions in the book, crazy difficult, like some years, 6% would pass it. So there was real barrier to entry before you needed to really know your stuff. Now you need 500 quid in a mobile phone, basically, to be, to be an agent in, in England. And that's in England, now, if you're speaking about other and countries. Is, is there many agents in the lower leagues in England, like the League 2 and stuff like that? Yeah, it's like the footballers where you'd know a few household names and then you go through the list. Before regulation, deregulation, about three or four years ago, there was five or 600 agents in England. Now there's 2,000. So it just, you know, Jesus. no... No exam needed. Let's do it. Let's. But you know, a lot of them, like the footballers, would be <clears throat> like. There's only so many Harry Kane's, to, or you know, like only so many stars to represent. And you know, I spoke to to some well-established agents and guys who've niches maybe with English players playing in Scottish Premiership and, and things like that. And you know, it's 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 really competitive now and you know there's guys who just suddenly paid 500 quid and saying they're an agent but as one established agent said to me you wouldn't 
you know, you wouldn't trust a dentist to take your wisdom teeth out if you'd never took your wisdom teeth out before, or, you know, a surgeon who'd never operated to operate on you. So, you know, there's some players who, who are putting a career in their hands of lads who've just basically said, right, here's 500 quid, I'm a football agent. So it's... it's Do players need agents? I, I wondered that, but most players I spoke to, they didn't say it, but it sort of seemed to be necessary evil, really. Um where they just weren't up to the task to, to, you know, to negotiate with clubs and things like that. Now, th- that deregulation of the industry as well has delayed um, relatives of, of players to become agents, whereas before they couldn't make any money from from deals involving their, their son or their brother or whatever. So if you go through the list of the 2000 agents now, there's loads of very uh, well-known surnames like Arnautovic and Rashford and things like that. So... Um, you know, and some players did. One player I remember said the best deal he ever got is his dad uh, organized it for him. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I didn't think I I wondered what what really exactly agents did, but it seems, as I said, a necessary evil, and most players, you know, feel they may be taken advantage of by clubs, I guess, unless there's someone batting for them in the boardroom when when deals have been trashed out, I guess. It's it, it's mad. I, th- I think that whole thing of like you know family or, or friends or whatever kind of being on the other side of the negotiating table, it's something that's rife in American sports or something. Because I know I've read stuff about that, and you often hear about kind of you know ex-American footballers or or whatever being completely shafted by um you know their ex-agent and family member. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 a bit of a as you were saying, it's a wild west like, but. Considering the light that agents are often painted in by, um, you know, coaches and managers and and that kind of thing, that that agents are this evil, it baffles me why anybody would want to, even if they did have, they're flush and had, you know, more than the five hundred quid in their back pocket on a mobile phone. I don't know why anybody would want to get involved in it. See, Al, one of our friends, uh, Pajo Flynn, he was playing football in England. Um, for Wolves, and yeah. he rang. We were about nineteen, and he rang me and said, uh, "He he put to me, would I like to be his agent?" And I didn't know whether he was joking or not. But anyway, he asked me, and I was like, "Oh Jesus, how do I do that?" So I rang Owen Hand, yeah. uh, who was working with the FEI at the time, and I said, "Look," and Owen knew Pajo quite well, and I said, "Look, Pajo's in England. He's asking, how do I become his agent, or what 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 do I need to do, or whatever?" And he goes, well, "Firstly, you need about fifteen thousand pounds." Yeah, probably at the time. When was this? Has gone back a few years, was it? It's like probably about 2002, 2000, no, 2004, 2005 maybe. Yeah, see, see now it's it's literally just the 500 quid registration fee and that's it. Once you're not bankrupt or, or uh, you know, criminal, uh, I think a criminal record, things like that. So it's like the, the FA's uh, character sort of reference thing for owners that, you know, isn't very stringent. Um so literally anyone can do it and you know you might need to look into it again <laughs> yeah and we should do it now <laughs> you know combing your beard in the old track <laughs> <laughs> do it for the League of Ireland players yeah yeah um, is that did, did you touch on the League of Ireland at all did you because I'd imagine that some of the stuff that goes on there in terms of guys you know maybe playing for a Dublin club and then find themselves having to travel to, you know, the back end of the country to get a game 
we only have one year contracts over here as well, so it's a bit of a pain in the hole. Yeah, it didn't really. It was it was touched on by a few people who might, who might have played here, like uh, Rob Ricketts, and you know he he sort of joined Rovers because of it was more stable than anywhere he'd been really. Um, you know he'd been in some crazy situation before that. Plus they, I think they'd drawn Spurs in the Europa League, where sort of where he made his name. So he, he sort of uh, got in touch with Harry Redknapp again, and and he. Uh, started training with them, I think, after he was at Rovers. And, you know, they couldn't believe he couldn't even get a trial with a championship club. He went to the MLS after. He moved to Wolves and Spurs. I think he followed, like, Glenn Hoddle, who loved him. And then Hoddle was sacked. And that's another thing. Players, you know, their life changes if a manager is sacked. And, you know, like, all this sort of... Your life is dependent on all this sort of stuff. The manager who brought you in. And yeah. someone else comes in, he doesn't fancy. Like, I spoke to... This Italian player, he's played in, in UK for 12 years and he said, you know, every year he wonders, will he be able to buy a house and settle down and then manager changes or something or he's told he's he's been sold to a club in Scotland or something then, you know, can't even, yeah. it's, doesn't it's, know where he's going to be next year, never mind in five years, you know. It's mad that you're saying that because I'm half expecting Nigo Cranchar to move into the jungle now that Hardy's in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's not a life I'd envy. Um, no, and it wasn't one I envied after the last book either. And uh, it's, that, when I was researching the first book, it sort of uh, there's a few inklings for this book in it, where I spoke to players who had retired, and you know, a lot of the issues they had in retirement uh, seemed to stem from the constant moves around, uh, especially divorce and and things like that, where you know they were either constantly moving and the wife was and kids were being dragged out of school and their comfort zone and you know their friends family moving schools doctor surgeries everything every year or two or else the player was moved moved away and had set up a base elsewhere and was sort of commuting and seeing them once every so often which isn't really conducive to uh, a good marriage most surveys or most most studies would find so you know, that sort of gave me a sort of a spark as to, you know, if this sort of thing is, is happening, what else is going on in the background, I guess, you know? Well, you know the way you does that about the house moves and stuff like that? Um, is that why we probably don't see many player English players based in England move abroad? And we always kind of see them, the players coming into the Premier League and stuff like that. Yeah, I spoke to a load of players from Britain uh, and Ireland who, who've played abroad. There's there's as many English players playing abroad as there is in the Premier League. So, um, mm-hmm. there's just they're just not household names. You know, I think it's 165 or something, and uh, they're mainly going abroad just to play football because that's their job and that's the only place they can get the opportunity. So there's like dozens of lads who've been let go by academies in the UK playing in Sweden. Um, for the likes of Ostersund, who bet Arsenal last year in the Europa League. And, you know, this guy spoke to Leroy Lita, who used to play in the Premier League. When I spoke yeah. to him, he was out in uh, Thailand playing and uh, spoke to Teddy Sheringham's son, who, who'd spent most of his career in the lower leagues in England. And he was out in Bangladesh when we spoke. So it's lads who are... This who, is crazy. Yeah, lads who just, just want to play football. And they don't want to sit in a bench in, at some League Two team. They, they you know... Money over there. I, they must. I can't see, you know, but 
I think most players who haven't moved have always have always sort of wanted to, and they they look at teammates who've moved from abroad to England and sort of envy them, you know, playing in a new country and settling in a new country. But I think they just have it so so good in England. It's, it's even the Championship and some clubs in League One even are some of the highest supported teams in Europe. You know, the Championship is the fourth or fifth most watched club in, or league in Europe, the, the biggest money in, in the world for, for playing. So what, why would you up sticks if, if you can get a job at home close to friends and family, I guess, is, is the main thing. Another point one player brought up is a lot of, of, of clubs abroad don't really scout in Britain, you know, so, you know, Bundesliga. You have to go to them. Exactly. Bundesliga have started, I guess, with young guys, but you don't, there's not going to be much scouts from, I guess, Denmark going to watch League One or Two or Championship games. So it's a lot of the players that have moved abroad that I spoke to from England or Scotland or Wales or Ireland have, I suppose, done it off their own bat. Uh, and, you know, they've ended up in, some mad places, but most of them have enjoyed it, and you know, most of them have always wanted to to do it. Spoke to a few in MSL as well, and um, you know, even from a young age, they've always sort of, you know, they might be playing underage for Ireland or England, and and watch, you know, playing Holland or Germany, and thought, yeah, I'd like to, you know, play, play this sort of football or play over there. So, you know, I think that's the main reason why would the security of, of football in England, even that Italian I, I spoke about, he plays in the, the Scottish Premiership at the moment, and he went home, he was going to join a, a team in, you know, Serie B or C in, in Italy, and all his friends and former teammates said, don't do it, just, you know, the main talking point in the dressing room over there was, are we going to get paid at the end of the month, so, you know, why would why would he move, move back from British football, so it's you know, I can see why maybe uh, from speaking to a few players who've had experiences abroad, why why they mightn't. But again, as I said, a lot of them enjoy their time in you know various places. Spoke to people in all sorts of places. You know, do do you think Al having you know done the the amount of research is required and talking to you know all the players and and all the different people, the the different characters of the game that you would have talked to for both this book and and your last book. Do you think there's maybe there there should be more onus on governing bodies to to try and you know put some sort of manners on the transfer market? Should there be an onus on them that you know there's almost a responsibility to ensure that certain things are taken on board or that you know certain things are guaranteed for a player rather than you know, what seems to be essentially a, a, a box of fucking frogs lepping about the place with no real control, no real anything. It's, it's No a, regulation. Yeah, it's a wish and a prayer for some of these lads, you know? Well, that's what FIFA are trying to do, who, as I said, are the world sort of uh, player, like the equivalent of the PFA worldwide. They, they think they had a case where they're trying to sort of sue FIFA or bring a case against FIFA to declare the current transfer system illegal and uh i didn't i don't think it got that well it didn't obviously happen but they're striving to sort of solve these problems but you know fifa are the ones who deregulated agents they they, i think they just washed their hands of it it was you know there was a huge percentage of of transfers going through that weren't by licensed agents so they just they washed their hands off and you know each country is it's left up to them to 
look after their own their own is so, it, so. that's what happened with with Tevez and Mascherano all those years ago wasn't it wasn't it was it something to do with the agent there when that whole thing went down that, that was a total other uh, third party ownership and all sorts of that oh, stuff okay, yeah. yeah I didn't get into that for this book but um, yeah. that's I think there's a yeah that alone I'd say probably yeah you're right there um, do you think this like just in terms of the transfer windows themselves like I've I've heard arguments or well I've seen arguments on Twitter and on football forums and that kind of thing like that you know the summer transfer window and the January transfer window are uh, what was it restrictions against free trade and therefore that's inflating the cost of footballers because it controls supply and demand and that if it was just open 365 all year all season it would calm the transfer market down do, do you have an opinion on that at all yeah a lot of players agreed with that and FIFA pro are sort of striving for that where you know if you're not if you're not getting a game at a club you, you don't move in january and you're on the bench from january to july you're not in the manager's plans you, like FIFA pro and a lot of players have spoke to the opinion where you shouldn't be shouldn't be made sit there and not be allowed to play or carry out your your career so definitely yeah, I, yeah again it's it's getting everyone to agree to that where you know it's giving players a bit more power uh, as opposed to the clubs at the moment but you know eventually it may happen that the transfer market may be found illegal and you know players will just be able to move willy-nilly but you know there needs to be some system in place i guess where you know, Man United can't sign Salah in April, and you know, or players can't move every month or two. You know, to to rival clubs, I, I guess, and I think FIFA are in agreement with that as well. But yeah, there definitely needs to be something something more done. But you know, they're they're trying their best, I think, and uh, you know, working with 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 FIFA, FIFA and uh, the European Leagues Association and people like that. You, you've definitely just started the first January rumor in United going after Salah now. April. <laughs> April. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's one at 80% that won't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know the, 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 the fees and stuff on the transfer market um, would you say there's players in the 80s and the 90s that are going mad that the fees are being going that are going now yeah I sort of um, I spoke to a few players from the yeah, I'm not sure. I spoke to a few. I, I, near the end of the book, I try and figure out what maybe stars from the eighties and yesteryear might be worth these days. You know, speaking to agents and speaking to people who've sort of worked out uh, different statistical models for all this sort of thing. You know, ask players. Viv Anderson reckoned Brian Robson be worth a hundred million. He'd be worth a million. Like they wouldn't really. They're too modest, sort of. I guess to yeah. to, to to say, but. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not quite. It seemed to have sort of really. You know, Viv Anderson was Alex Ferguson's first sign in that Man United, and he, he said it was sort of farcical. Where, you know, Martin Edwards, the chairman at the time, was coming in. It was a hotel room in Nottingham. The chairman would come in one door and and say to Viv, "Have you seen Alex Ferguson?" And he'd say no, and then he'd go out and Ferguson come in another door and say, "Have you seen Martin Edwards?" And this went on for half an hour or something. <laughs> you know, now it's like you know videos and. Alexis Sanchez playing piano and things like that. So, yeah. you know, and I think he was, uh, he sort of saw it. He was, he was assistant manager at Robson at Middlesbrough when they signed the likes of Ravinelli and all that sort of thing. And he said, yeah, that was, you know, he sort of saw the whole agent side of things creeping in and, you know, the money and things. So, 
Um, I'm not sure. It wasn't something I asked the players from from years ago. I, I guess well, from my last book, even the lads who played in the early noughties, it's it's them sort of guys who are going bankrupt now, where they invested in the wrong sort of things, and you know they were the ones who retired maybe ten or twelve years ago. So. Even then, uh, and even this week, there's the calls for the PFA chairman or chief executive to, to stand down due to. Yeah, what's that all about? Um, uh, the, like seven years. Yeah, just one. Ben Perkis, he's a, he's a player in the lower leagues in England. He's uh, I think he's the is he the PFA chairman? I, I just need to check that. But you know, Pat Nevin was you know there's always a player who's represented and yeah. the board as well, but. Um, you know, he just thinks it should be modernised a bit more. They're not taking the likes of of um, head injuries and dementia and things like that serious. And you know, I read somewhere that one player, um, the PFA was a travel agent because all the emails they get is just selling deals with you know third party sponsors and things like that. You know, there was nothing really to help them with. Um, so I guess it's it's it just calls to modernise it. And I think a few players have mentioned that they weren't helpful enough with, you know, it's all these players. And a lot of them I spoke to for the last book were, you know, they invested in these film schemes and tax schemes in the early 90s and you know, they've been hit with a million quid bill now, which they just don't have. So, you know, they may have been given bad advice or, you know, may blame the PFA for not helping them out more at the time, I guess. So, uh, you know, it's just stuff coming back to home players in that era. Yeah, it's, yeah, the, the, the more, after reading your first book, I kind of said, geez, as a kid, I would have loved to have been a footballer, but with the high insight of, of, of being an adult now and being able to understand it, I'm, Jesus, I wouldn't wish it upon me worst enemy at times, because it's, it's mad. Like, if you don't get to the, the cream of the crop, like, it's, it's not. Yeah, if you're, yeah, if you're not in that top tier of, the Finn Harps average attendance, uh, or you know, if you're in that you, third tier, it's a yeah. very, very uh, precarious lifestyle, I guess, where you're living on six month to year contracts constantly, looking over your shoulder the whole time as to, you know, madness. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll bef- before we let you go, obviously, uh, when when is the book out? Where can people get it and all that kind of crack? It's out the first of December, just in time for Christmas, from Amazon and WH Smith Waterstones and all good bookstores. So should be in uh in all Irish good bookstores as well, like Easton's and things like that, hopefully. So um yeah, it's soon. Lovely, lovely. And uh are you still doing your, your boiled sports column and, and people can uh, grab you? Not as much, no. Yeah. Uh haven't had time for it recently, but uh yeah, I remember the last time I was on I was and you asked me for a bet it was before the Euros. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tip before that was Robbie Brady, top Irish goal scorer in the Euros. I think it was sixteen or twenty to one. So I hope he's got on that at the time. That's right. Yeah. No, I, was, I, didn't. I, I was I was coursing it that I didn't. To be honest with you, my top tip this time is Ireland never to score again. <laughs> even money, but even money, yeah, printing money though. Well, yeah. So what do you think of the current setup? Uh, oh. oh, I I I don't know. I. I used to play championship manager a lot in the early 90s. Oh, and, what a game. You know, and, you know, the players now, I, it's just like the regens, the names that it used to throw <laughs> up when you played it for 20 seasons. <laughs> like it's, I, I just wouldn't recognise a lot of them. Whereas, and it's only a, it's sort of a sudden thing since Euro 2016, I think, where, mm. you know, 
I, I don't know. I just, I, I, every game Ireland play, I think I have to put money on nil-nil and I never do it when I kick myself afterwards. But it's, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But maybe some of these young guys will, you know, it only takes, it was only a couple of years ago, Holland were in their, in the doldrums and, yeah. you know, Dutch fans were saying, this is the worst team ever. We're going nowhere. And, you know, it just takes a couple of young players to come in and, you know, a few good performances, light things up and hopefully, Ireland find a couple. You know, I spoke to one guy, Jimmy Dunn, for the book, who's on loan from Burnley at Hearts, and you know he's lighting things up, winning man of the matches every every week up there in in, the, in Scotland. And he was on the bench last night. And then you've got the Oba family guy, Southampton. So you know, hopefully, it only takes two or three of these to make the team and do well, and maybe pick things up a bit. It's just a bit of confidence needed, even you know. Yeah, but the, the only thing is that he's he's going on about. Uh, a goal scorer, we've no goal scorer, but sure, he doesn't play to allow a goal, a goal scorer to score. Oh, uh, someone I've heard or read it somewhere, if Ronaldo was up front there, he's not going to score any, he's not, <laughs> no one's buying no. anything, you know, so, I don't know, it's, Until, I don't need uh, manager, I don't know, I don't know what you think, but I, I don't know, I think if we got rid of O'Neill and Keane, we'd end up with Sam Allardyce or, King yeah, we would have to get Harry Redknapp or something, you know, and it could be even worse. So I don't, I don't know where it goes from here. Stephen Kenny has made a bit more structure. I'll, I'd structure. I'd go for Stephen Kenny. As a Dundalk fan, I don't know. It'd be a mixed sort of emotions about him going there, but you know, maybe you could do it on the side. The idea of Harry Redknapp somehow or another unearthing Nico Grantar as either Scranny. Peter Peter O'Crouch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I tell you, just, just on the championship manager, my, my the, the I used to love that game. I absolutely adored it, and I remember I think it was championship manager. He used to wear suits. You got to the final a lot. It was a big occasion. You know, NK, NK Dons getting to the Champions League final was, you know, I mean. Did you play the music and shake hands with the doorknob and all this? <laughs> I went the full hall, man. <laughs> <laughs> half time oranges and everything like but yeah. I remember in I can't remember which year I think it was 2001 2002 it was a red disc I remember that much yeah, oh, oh, 0102 the best ever yeah. oh my god and I remember uh, you'd always go to like Boca Juniors and River Plate and those guys to like raid their youth system and I found a guy called Javier Saviola and I absolutely oh, loved yeah. him in the game and then Barcelona signed him and I was bragging about it to everyone I was like lads I found this lad in championship manager I am a football genius. And then he absolutely fucking flopped at Barcelona. <laughs> well, I did 42-year-old Robert Prozanecki banging in the goal. <laughs> Prozanecki! <laughs> what a hero! Uh, I paid him, I think he was on 200 quid a week, but he got like half a million signing on for you or something like that. You know, so he was... And, and I would, would you play that for three days in a row and forget the days? Last time before he's married with kids. Now he wouldn't get three minutes in a row. But yeah, <laughs> all night until the saddest moment was probably Prozanecki retiring and you know yeah. once, once to become coach or someone's having none of it and just go <laughs> <laughs> was Prozanecki your uh, he, he was he your favourite because there was some championship manager players who who were just championship manager legends but in in real life they were journeymen oh, there was guys like two guys up front for them Doc and that I think it was that one was it was it two Madeira or Tom Madeira and yeah, Jeff Jesus. They didn't exist in real life, I don't think, but they were like, they'd never stay though, you know, they'd score about 50 goals each and then move yeah, tips, and then, couldn't yeah. keep, so, 
But Prozanecki hung around, so fair play to him. So even even back even back in the day, the transfer market was screwing you over then as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, it, as always, man, it, it is a pleasure having you on the podcast, and uh, I can't wait for you to to make your hat trick and, and bring out the third book. You know, obviously after the success of this one has died down, um, but yeah, everyone should should check, definitely check out uh, the transfer market, the inside story, Alan Gernon, and I'll, you're on Twitter as well, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I think it's at Alan Gernon. Don't be on it much, but that's the handle. Brilliant. Look, all the best with the book, man. I've, I've no doubt that it will it will educate people before the January window kicks in. Okay, thanks, lads. And uh, get get him some beard oil or something. <laughs> <laughs> He's at it again. Look at him. beard <laughs> oil. All the best, man. Take care. I love when we talk to a guest and he's saying things that I'm kind of like, I'd never thought of that. Or stuff that I had thought of that I was like, yeah, why doesn't anybody talk about that? I get real. Yeah, but I, I even love the subject matter of both the subjects and both his books. Yeah, it's fascinating. Like they're for, important, important, but nobody thinks of them. Like, I understand. And I think for anyone who's interested in football, you know what I mean. I think they should definitely check out both of these Absolutely. books. But, but if you, even if you're not interested in football, you're just a sports fan in general. It's still fascinating because it's it's a slice of sport that is fetish like people do fetishize the the, the the transfer gossip and transfer rumors and like like in the last what was it in 2017 1.4 billion pound sterling was spent mm. in, in England on transfers 1.4 so billion pound if you're, if you're a person that is glued to deadline day on Twitter or Sky Sports you need to get this book definitely and the one thing I didn't ask him that I'm raging now is didn't ask him if, if he thinks Brexit will hit transfers at all. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, but that's for another day. I might tweet him, actually. Yeah, you'll have to follow up on that, lads. Follow at WTS pod and at Alan Gernon. And we'll see what yes. his, uh, his opinion is on that. But, like... And will know. you tweet us as well? Will you tweet us uh, dogs' names? Strange dogs' names? Do, yeah. I mean, just, just brilliant dogs' names in general. And remember, you're... you're a picture of the dog as well. A picture well, of the dog, has- yeah. WTS dogs. WTS dogs. And uh, remember, Sharon the Bulldog and Linda the German Shepherd is what you're trying to beat, lads. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> Must ask PJ, does he, can he get us a photo of Sharon the Bulldog? And I'll try to get a photo of uh, Linda the, the German Shepherd in the meantime. But uh, yeah, that's look, that's me, this week's episode. Big thanks to Alan Gernon for joining us, and uh, I really do hope the book goes well for him. Um, it's out in December, and as I said, Waterstones, Amazon, all those places. Keep an eye out for it. Uh, the Transfer Market, The Inside Story by Alan Gernon. Guaranteed to be a great read this winter. Shall I wrap up, Graham? Let's wrap it up. You can get all previous 165 episodes of What Story Podcast by going to iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast Republic, Podcast Addict, and Spotify. Anywhere and everywhere there is a podcast. Just search WTS Pod and we're there. You can check out WTSPod.com or go to Facebook.com forward slash WTS Pod Ireland. You can get us on Twitter at WTS Pod and you can follow myself and Mero on Instagram. I'm at Dan Joe Murray. I'm at Merigamania everywhere. Everywhere. And you never know, we might even do a little questionnaire thing on Instagram again, you know. Questions on Insta and then uh, WTS Dogs on Twitter. That's what we're after. That's a lot. Get the dogs. Yeah, the the Facebook hasn't got any love really, really, but I think people have grown out of Facebook, to be honest with you. 
all Instagram, isn't it? And Twitter. It is, it is. People want short and snappy. They don't want long and hashtag hope you're okay, hon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, no hashtag Facebook. This is it, this is it. Lads, we're coming into our busy period, uh, the build-up to Christmas, and we've got, I think it's fair to say, Mero, I think we've got a few crackers lined up. We do. We absolutely do. Yeah, um, so, so do stay tuned, and thanks for your patience. I know this year we probably weren't as prolific as we were in previous years, and we took a bit of time off and all that, but, I mean, look, lads, at the end of the day, I'll do what I want. <laughs> yeah, and I'm growing my beard, so... That's true, that is true. I'm going to put up bonus footage. I will put up bonus footage of Mero combing his beard in the middle of that interview because I do have the video of it. So, do you? Yeah, man, the video records yes. as well. Ah, oh, yeah. alright, come on. Until <laughs> next, until next time. Mero, go eat your spaghetti bolognese. Clear eyes. Clear Can't lose. Can't lose. Too sweet. Too sweet, brother.